Greetings and welcome to episode 26 of Beyond Huaxia. I'm your host, Justin Jacobs. Today we're going to be talking about government. How did the Chinese imperial state, which existed in various forms for about 2,000 years, from roughly 200 BC until 1911 AD, um, how did they actually carry out governance on the ground? Um, so what we're really talking about today, actually, is we're talking about what form did the most sophisticated, centralized bureaucracy uh, take for this 2,000-year period. Now, you're probably going to be surprised by what will appear to be the loose, ad hoc, informal nature um, of this bureaucracy, but keep in mind, this is something that existed once more before our own modern era. Today, we're so used to having the government in our daily lives in so many ways. Uh, censuses that, you know, ask really intrusive questions um, about your household. Um, the government knows your exact income. Um, you know, you have to fill out various uh, forms related to your identity. Uh, government is much more in the lives uh, of people today than it was in the old days, okay? And the way that I like to think about the Chinese imperial governmental system on the local level, we're not talking about the central government here or the imperial court or any of that stuff. We're talking about uh, what did government look like for your average citizen? Uh, well, citizen is sort of a loaded modern word for your average subject, all right? Subject, someone who is ruled by another, um, and you're not necessarily granted uh, the idea of rights that exist when you're born, rather obligations to those who are above you. That's more a subject than a citizen. Um, what did, when you had to interact with the government, uh, how did that interaction take place? Uh, who was the face of the government? for most people who lived in various Chinese states. And the way that I like to refer to this is to think of it as pre-modern government on the cheap, okay? Before you get to the Industrial Revolution, before you have new technologies of surveillance and the ability to have state agents who basically uh, attempt to harness the resources of every single person in the state to a degree that have never been harnessed before. Uh, prior to that, there are limits to how far a bureaucracy, even a sophisticated centralized bureaucracy, there are limits to how far they can actually penetrate into the individual family household. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, the focal point of all of this is what is known as the yamen, Y-A-M-E-N. Uh, the yamen, I like to just use the original Chinese word untranslated. Uh, the yamen was the Chinese word for a local government office. Okay, um, in the big dynasties, the big empires that had all of the agricultural heartland from, you know, the Yellow River down to Guangzhou, you know, in, uh, all the way down in the, in the southern part of the East Asian continental mainland, you're probably talking about something like 2,000 counties, give or take. You might have 18 provinces or so, um, and then within those provinces uh, in all, you might have about 2,000 counties for the entire empire. Each one of those counties will get a yamen. All right, the yamen is where the local magistrate who has passed the civil service examination uh, system, usually, not always, but usually he has passed that exam, uh, that's where he's going to take up his residence. That's where he will live. And he will have a team, a bureaucratic team, that assists him in the carrying out of civil and what I might refer to as police or paramilitary duties. We're not talking about the local, you know, uh, uh, imperial soldiers who may be stationed somewhere in a provincial capital. 
Uh, we're talking about the yamen on the county level, in which you have a magistrate, and then you have his clerks, and you have his runners. All right, These are the three elements of the yamen we're going to be talking about today. One magistrate, and then a bunch of clerks, and a bunch of runners. All right, And together, they carry out the business of government for anywhere from a small county of perhaps 30,000 people uh, to a large county of perhaps a million people. All right, so you're going to see here, despite this being probably hands down the most sophisticated centralized bureaucracy in the world prior to the 19th century, okay, uh, the limits of its reach are going to be painfully apparent when we start seeing how it actually um, governance is carried out in action. All right, now let's sort of get a little background to these three main actors, all right, the magistrate, the clerks, and the runners, now you can think about the difference in their in their 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 job titles and the prestige and respect and the salary associated with each with these job uh, titles in terms of class differences. Okay, uh, each level of the local bureaucracy is usually going to be drawn from a different class background, and they will have a salary and a level of respect or lack of a level of respect that accords with their class background. Let's start with the magistrate. The magistrate is the lowest agent of the imperial state. You know, as far as Beijing or wherever the capital is, as far as they're going to reach down into the mass of their subjects and say, here is a, a representative of our imperial authority who we've certified. He's gone through a system of certification. He's met the emperor. We, we, we feel confident in, the, in his abilities to reflect and implement the uniform laws and regulations that we've set down for all counties. He's our man, okay? Um, and we will keep a tight rein on him. He will be bound by our regulations, and he will be subject to punishment and reward directly from the imperial center. All right. He represents the lowest level at which the imperial state will reach down into the local population and take responsibility for one of their agents. Okay. This is one man in a sea of anywhere from 30,000 to a million people. He is vastly outnumbered. Okay. What is his background? Well, all right, he is seen as being, you know, in, in Confucian terms, usually, uh, he's seen as being a superior gentleman made up of moral character and integrity. He is a superior man who manages other men. All right, usually there isn't a pretense that he has some sort of specific technical training. He is a generalist philosopher, exemplar of moral authority, and a really smart person. Okay, cast your mind back if you uh, uh, are uh, if you listen to previous podcasts. Cast your mind back to the episode on the civil service examination system. All right, uh, he studied probably for thirty years of his life to pass these exams. It was really really hard. And yes, the exams have their flaws and drawbacks. They're basically like the SAT today. Uh, the whole point was just to certify this person as a really smart, capable person who will learn whatever he needs to be able to learn on the job, and the test proves that. Yes, many equally qualified and really intelligent people weren't able to pass the exam and won't have this opportunity, but you're pretty assured that the ones who are chosen and did pass the exam are also equally intelligent and capable of learning on the job. All right, And remember, those exams did not test specific technical knowledge or skills. You don't pass the exams by writing an essay on how to build a perfect bridge, <laughs> okay? 
um, or how to re repair a cobblestone road. You pass the exams by being able to answer questions about uh, something that Mencius or Confucius said, or something, you know, one of the poems in the Book of Odes from 2,000 years ago, and show how you might apply this generally to your guiding philosophy of how you would rule over the people. It's probably going to be pretty vague, all right? Um, but by passing this exam, you're put in this generalist CEO type of position. I don't have any specific skill, okay? Um, I probably couldn't run the division of accounting and, you know, uh, uh, balance the tax books. I definitely don't know how to build a bridge. I have not memorized the, the, the Qing Dynasty law code. Uh, you're going to rely on other people to do that stuff for you. But you are seen as someone who's capable of managing men, putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, you're supposed to have charisma, moral integrity. And that's much harder to achieve in theory. That's this is the, the thinking goes. That sort of talent is much harder to find than mere technical hacks. People who just read a couple of books, learned on the job, um, and now they know how to do something. All right, that's not where the prestige accrues. Those people are necessary, but that's not where the prestige goes. Now, by contrast, the other two elements of the yamen, the clerks and the runners, they are administrative and technical specialists. Okay? They're not expected to have broad moral, social, or political training or philosophies, and they are regarded as only fit for specific, rote, administrative tasks requiring no need for synthesizing thought or insight. Think back, if you remember, uh, the podcast on Han Feitze and the School of Legalism, and how Han Feitze was trying to come up with the idea of how you would create a perfect bureaucracy for a large empire in which the emperor can't possibly know every single one of his agents that he sends out into the field. He has to rely on an impersonal set of laws and punishments that keep its employees in check, doing what they're supposed to do. They're very specific technical skills. Okay. Uh, ideally, according to Han Feitze, these are the people who are the cogs in the bureaucratic machine, a well-oiled bureaucratic machine. All right, and the magistrate is, again, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, the big dark unknown who is rarely seen and rarely visible, but he manages all the cogs in this machine, all the technical experts. Now, the associated discourse surrounding clerks and runners made these distinctions between them and the magistrate clear in morally pejorative terms. It was said that both clerks and runners were, quote, talons and teeth. In Chinese, the phrase was wei guan zhijiaoya. Uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> bad Chinese. Wei guan zhijiaoya. All right, the talons and teeth who serve the local official, who serve the government. And they were universally reviled. In writing, in speech, in public opinion, the magistrate himself would often revile them in writing. But they were indispensable in practice. And the magistrate knew this. Clerks and runners were necessary and useful functionaries who helped him carry out the dirty business of technical and administrative elements of government. And when things went bad, he could ritually excoriate them as scapegoats if necessary. Okay. Now think about this also the position of the magistrate. He is rotated around on what is known as the law of avoidance. Huibi. All right. The law of avoidance means that every one and a half to two and a half years, 
each magistrate will be transferred to a new county, a new jurisdiction. Think about that. That's pretty common. I mean, that, that, that's, that's pretty quick. Just a year and a half or so at each post. And he moves around. Sometimes he'll take his favored clerks with him, or maybe even a favored runner or two with him to his next post. But usually most of the clerks and runners stay permanently ensconced in that local yamen. They don't move, usually. All right, so think about the implications of all this. The magistrate is operating on the law of avoidance, which means he's going to be constantly in motion. The whole point of the law of avoidance is that he's posted nowhere near his own, his, his home province, so he can't sort of collaborate with people that he knows. Um, and also that he's never going to stay in one location long enough to build up his own power base. See this love-hate relationship that the imperial state has with its, with its uh, officials that it sends out into the field? On the one hand, you are the special chosen few. You're the certified few who pass the exams and are fit to represent the emperor in the provinces. On the other hand, the emperor is terrified that these people who have earned their position and maybe have more talent and more intelligence than the emperor himself may form their own special interest clique, their own special interest group, and form local bases of support that undermine centralized imperial authority. So he wants to keep them on the move. Now what this means is that the magistrate is always an outsider everywhere he serves. Very often, he won't speak the language of the people in his district, especially if he's from the north and he gets posted to the south. Uh, you know, these, he's, he, Those languages are mutually unintelligible. Yeah, they're all part of the Sino-Tibetan language family, but it's mutually unintelligible. Call it a dialect, call it a language, call it whatever you want. The result is, is that he won't be able to talk directly with his subjects. He may not even be able to understand the language of his own clerks and runners. Although most likely the clerks and runners have learned some form of standard Mandarin Chinese from the north in order to communicate with him. Okay, so he himself is painfully aware of how dependent he is on his local clerks and runners. They're the locals. They're the locals. They know the region. They know the languages. They know the customs. And he can't do his job without their support. He too has a love-hate relationship with his subordinates, just like the emperor has a love-hate relationship with him. Okay. Now, imperial regulations, laws, punishments, and whatnot applied only to the magistrate. Okay. Actual yamen operation on a day-to-day -day basis proceeded upon this customary practice of the clerks and runners, who themselves will inform the incoming magistrate every one and a half, two, three years, uh, what past precedent is, how things are done around here, how you can, you know, fulfill the letter of the law and yet still appease the local customs and, you know, unique diversity of the people who live here and their expectations. And they'll tell them, this is what past precedent is. This is how, here, how, how we do it here to satisfy both the people and the imperial expectations that you represent. And then oftentimes they'll try to seek his rubber stamp approval. In this sense, the state, the imperial Chinese state, is simply grafting a thin skin over local communities with the extent of local administration heavily determined by local conditions and local resources in the person of the clerks and the runners who carry out the actual tasks of local governance. As I said, the magistrate is rarely seen and he's rarely present. Most people in the district will never see the magistrate. Maybe you'll get a glimpse of his sedan chair being carried through the main street, um, you know, once every couple of months or something, if you happen to be in the vicinity and you hear all the fanfare and noise and people being cleared out of the streets and whatnot. Maybe you'll come over and catch a glimpse of his sedan chair, heavily cloistered sedan chair passing by. 
that's about it, unless you're unfortunate enough to be called in for some sort of criminal case and you have to actually go to court. Then you'll definitely see the magistrate, but that's not um, an enjoyable experience, okay? Because then there's a very good chance you might be tortured or, you know, uh, uh, scolded or something like that, all right? Um, now, what are the actual tasks that need to be carried out in a, in a government yamen? Well, everything. Think about it. The drafting, copying, and filing of documents and records. Bureaucracies create enormous amounts of records. Uh, you know, none second to the, the Chinese imperial bureaucracy. The recording of land surveys. The registration of land deeds and sales. Uh, the acceptance and transmittal of petitions to a magistrate. Legal petitions. I have a grievance and I want to get the court involved. Uh, that, that requires paperwork. That requires a chain of command. How are you going to get your petition to the magistrate? Clerks and yamans. Uh, the posting of official notices and proclamations, the issuance of licenses and permits, the delivery of communications from different government offices, uh, tax collection, uh, running a courtroom, a public security, arrest and detention, the collection of taxes, and we've only scratched the surface. We've only scratched the surface of what a yaman does. All right, there's an enormous workload on a pitifully small staff when you think about it. How big is this staff? Well, we're going to talk about how big the staff is, but we already know we have one magistrate. And you're going to have, you know, officially, you're only allowed to have, you know, double digits for clerks and runners. Okay? Officially on the books, according to Beijing, the imperial capital, uh, there's not supposed to be more than 100 people working in this government office. 100 people. Total. For the governing of between 30,000 to a million people and all the tasks that are involved with that. Right. They're overwhelmed. So the way they sort of dealt with this is there would be a, 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 a reality versus the ideal. Okay, um, And Beijing would have regulations on the books that says, here's the ideal. This is what we say you're officially allowed to have in your yamen. This is the number of personnel you're allowed to have. All right? And they try to limit the numbers of clerk, clerks and runners. Because from Beijing's perspective, the clerks and runners are sort of a shadow bureaucracy. We, you know, we can't really see them. Uh, we're afraid of their numbers getting out of control. And we'd like to keep up the pretense that we aren't relying on a bunch of freelance clerks and runners to carry out the business of government. Our one lone magistrate should be enough. Well, that's absurd. It's not near, anywhere near enough. So how it works is that there's only a few people in the, in, in the local yamen who actually get a real state salary. Okay. Very few, maybe the 10 head clerks, 10 head runners, and the magistrate. All right. This imperial government does not send a whole lot of money into local districts uh, to fund local governance. You have to raise that money on your own. What it does do is it gives the magistrate a very attractive salary. Uh, magistrate's average salary, if you listen to the last podcast, about 30,000 silver tails. 30,000. Remember what a peasant makes in a year? An agricultural peasant laboring out in the fields, five to seven tails a year. A magistrate makes 30,000 silver tails a year. Okay? Uh, and as I said in the last podcast, not all of that is profit. Not all of that is sort of take-home net pay. All right? He has to use that salary to run his yamen, to hire potentially hundreds of clerks and runners. Maybe there might be up to a thousand men working under him. And Beijing has only paid the salaries for maybe 20 of those men. And officially, they don't want to know that anyone else even exists. 
And if they learn that the magistrate has hired 500 runners and clerks to carry out the business of a large and busy yamen, they'll probably punish him. Okay? So the magistrate hires his own staff with his own money, tries to keep that a secret from Beijing. All right? And then they also charge what are known as customary fees to the local population. Usually, if you interact with the government, you're going to have to pay a fee. Okay? Uh, you're going to have to pay a fee. There's almost nothing that the government provides that is free unless there's a homicide and they have to go and investigate. And then, of course, they'll investigate. But even then, they're probably going to charge fees for all the little services that they carry out because the government can't pay itself to provide all these, free, uh, all, all these fees for free. Okay, so there's the magistrate's salary that sort of gets the oils, the cogs, and the great machine of the bureaucracy, um, but it's still not enough. Every single time someone interacts with the government, they are probably paying money in informal fees. Um, and the magistrate learns what these fees are when he comes into his post. Okay, the most lucrative aspect of a yamen was to run the courtroom. Uh, anything short of homicide, if someone brings a legal petition, a grievance, and they want that to be prosecuted, uh, they're going to be paying through the nose, left and right, uh, every single time that you interact with the local yamen. Okay, uh, the courtroom was by far the most lucrative part of a yamen, and it helped finance other parts of the yamen uh, that weren't nearly as lucrative, um, and there was not enough money to pay for these things. So, how does the local magistrate actually deal with this so-called shadow bureaucracy? He needs hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of staff members under him, uh, but Beijing only officially allows him to have maybe 50 people who work for him. Well, let me read you a quote from 1901, relatively late in the game. In 1901, this was still the case. From a, count, a county magistrate writing to his provincial governor. All right, the provincial governor is a magistrate writing to his first subordinate, not Beijing. And he says the following, quote, According to the regulations, the clerks and runners of county yamens are not to exceed 80 persons. 80 persons! At present, the total number of these clerks in all the offices of this yamen is 229 that's three times as much, man. None of these individuals are reported to the Board of Personnel in Beijing, however, since they are all outside the statutory limits and would appear to demonstrate that I am violating the regulations. Therefore, in the formal report to be given to you for transmission to Beijing, I will follow the old rules and report only statutory numbers. The actual circumstances, however, will be appended in a separate report to you only. I do not know if this is to be permitted, and I therefore humbly ask your grace to judge, end quote. Of course, he knows that this is how he has to do it, and he knows that his governor is absolutely going to permit this. It's the only way government can be done. The locality is deceiving Beijing into thinking that it can actually run the government according to the ideal of, you know, 80 people, 80 people for hundreds of thousands of subjects that you have to govern. Okay, now... We've talked about the shadow bureaucracy, uh, the class backgrounds of the three elements, the three types of personnel who are in the yamen. Now let's delve into more detail about these clerks and runners. The clerks, let's start with them. All right, a yamen is divided into 10 different offices, and perhaps each office could have anywhere from another 10 to 100 clerks in each division. You can see how these numbers spiral out of control exponentially very, very quickly. What are the 10 offices? Well, let me read them off for you so you get an idea of what you deal with in the yamen, how it's divided up organizationally speaking. Personnel, granaries, revenue, rights, rituals, rights, uh, salt, the military, punishments, 
public works. Receipts and transmissions. Well, I bet that's a really boring department to work in. Um, and then documents, which are apparently separate from receipts and transmissions. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, a, a, a note, uh, notes on a few of these. Uh, a department of rights. What does that mean? Department of rights. Not rights as in, uh, you know, God-given rights when you're born. Rights, R-I-T-E-S, as in rituals. Remember, Confucian ideas, uh, ritual orders the entire world. That, that means filial piety, the hierarchy, uh, in, the, the necessity of inequality, and it also means education. To learn about how the world should be properly ordered and proper uh, hierarchical relationships, uh, you need to learn about that. So education is subsumed under the Department of Rights in a yamen. And also in Beijing, in the imperial bureaucracy, there is a board of rights. Um, and that is where the civil service exam will be developed um, and administered. All right. in, in Beijing, at the imperial level, the Board of Rights also uh, uh, manages foreign relations with other states. Uh, we know that uh, is mediated through what's known as the tribute system. All right, because it's seen as hierarchical relationships, at least in theory, between the Son of Heaven and all of his younger brothers, inferior younger brothers out there in the universe. All right, but back to the Yaman. All right, all the clerks, each one of these offices will have um, uh, one head clerk. Okay, one head clerk. The head clerk resides in the Yaman. Okay, he lives there. He's got a bed, he's got a room, he actually lives in the Yaman. Okay. Um, and that head clerk is hired, or at least confirmed in his position, and has an interview with the magistrate. All right, this is like you know the relationship between the magistrate and the emperor, replicated on the local level. All right, he's met the magistrate. He works with him. Uh, he has regular meetings with him. Um, and then below, then the head clerk has to hire all of his own regular and temporary clerks, depending on the season and the sort of tasks he has to carry out. Um, and all those other clerks below the head clerk will likely never see the magistrate. Okay. Um, now the head clerk hires and fires his own regular clerks, and he doles out the assignments to all of these clerks along with their associated fees. And now you can see how this would become a source of great conflict. Okay. Fees, these customary fees, the, whatever the general public is charged every single time that they have to interact with the government. Uh, often involving some sort of paperwork. Uh, that is a great source of conflict among the clerks, and as we'll see, among the runners as well. Because some types of jobs, the fees are more lucrative. And they say, well, if you're going to get greater fees when you go out and deliver this document to so-and-so, or you go out and you, uh, you know, engage in a survey or an investigation and inspection of local apothecary shops and make sure they're up to code, <laughs> you know, um, and then they have to pay you for the privilege of having their shop inspected, uh, if that's a really high fee and it's more than some other clerk gets when he goes out and does stuff, well then, you know, we got to make sure that this is divided up evenly. And so sometimes there would be conflicts among clerks. Uh, that's a more lucrative job that he has than me. And the head clerk has to manage all of this. Okay. The head clerk is in a considerable position of liability. He is personally responsible for all the actions of the clerks beneath him, of his own staff. Just like the emperor feels like he's responsible for the one magistrate he sent out into 2,000 counties. The head clerk is responsible for meeting the tax quota. That's always a dangerous one. And most importantly, well, not most importantly, but maybe surprisingly, he has to maintain and repair all office facilities out of his own resources. Just like the magistrate has to take that 30,000 silver tail salary and pay an army of staff. 
the shadow bureaucracy. The head clerks, they actually do get an official salary from Beijing, and then that's supplemented uh, by local customary fees that the head clerk manages and doles out to all of his own clerk subordinates. Um, he has to make sure that he has enough money, too. He saves up enough money. If the roof starts leaking after a storm, he has to fix that. Magistrate's not going to fix it. Beijing's not going to fix it. You have to fix that. All right. So at each level, when you go down the hierarchy, each little division is sort of their own little fiefdom. Okay, in which one person interfaces with the uh, uh, with their boss, and then everyone else is again sort of this shadow bureaucracy, um, in which there aren't really formal regulations on the book about how to uh, deal with these people, what their duties are. It's very much informal, according to customary practice and what past precedent was in that position. The head clerk serves his term for a period of five years. And then afterwards, he either has to become a regular clerk and a new head clerk is sort of elected or recommended to the magistrate. Um, you know, you can see there's going to be a lot of politics involved in that as well. Um, or the head clerk is allowed to take the civil service examination system. Okay, the civil service examination system. Remember, clerks, where do they come from? They oftentimes originally were from the same class, ideological, uh, economic background as the magistrate himself. The only difference is the magistrate passed the civil service examination system, and he didn't. Well, what happens when you don't pass it, but you still have a whole lot of education, and you're accustomed to a certain comfort of lifestyle, and you want to be a man who makes his living uh, through the written word uh, by doing things where you labor with your mind and not with your physical you know, uh, uh, body? Uh, well, being a clerk in a yamen, working for a magistrate was one way that you could do this. Okay, so think of these guys, clerks, as frustrated scholars. Frustrated scholars who failed the exams, or maybe they're still trying to pass them. They're taking the exams every once in a while. Um, so what they do is they leverage their literacy, still a rare commodity. They leverage the literacy that they've acquired and their social aspirations into local government yamen work. And oftentimes it'll give them an opportunity to uh, engage in uh, uh, business relationships on the side. They'll have, you know, they'll be able to get involved in local investment schemes. Uh, you know, and inevitably there'll be some corruption involved as well because they're in a position of authority. They control the issuance of land deeds. All right, who has what paperwork on file? Uh, you can see that there would be opportunities for them to be able to leverage their authority um, into a lucrative economic benefit for them and their families. Okay, so sometimes actually it was seen as beneficial. If your son can't pass the civil service exams and become an imperial official, the next best thing was to work in a yamen as a clerk. All right, it would be a ready source of government information, uh, influence, and possibly revenue, and possibly revenue. Now, at the level of the head clerk, this frustrated aspiration of passing the civil service exams and becoming an official uh, would be channeled into the privilege, the privilege. Um, of being able to retake the civil service examination system uh, after the end of his five-year term. Um, and then if he passes it, he'll be back on track to become his own magistrate. Uh, but if he doesn't, then he cycles back into the level of regular clerks. Okay. Um, installation fees. Among these clerks, every t any person who becomes a new clerk is employed, is recommended for a new post uh, by an existing clerk, the expectation is that you will have to pay what is known as an installation fee. And the idea is that after you pay your installation fee, basically you're paying so you can have this job, 
uh, you will hopefully be able to recoup that installation fee uh, through the customary fees that the yamen charges in the course of your regular duties uh, to the general populace. Okay, um, and one way that a magistrate oftentimes would suspect his head clerks of engaging in corruption and using their position to make too much money, uh, immoral money, uh, is that if they see too many clerks being hired and they're like, wait a second, I saw, you know, customary past precedent in this county is that we have 200 clerks in the shadow bureaucracy um, and you've hired now 350 clerks underneath you. Uh, I suspect that you're doing this just so you can collect additional installation fees and we don't actually need this many clerks and then he might launch his own investigation. Okay. Uh, if there are conflicts among the clerks, the magistrate prefers that the clerks handle their conflicts uh, internally. All right. It's only if it's really an irresolvable conflict among clerks, usually involving fees, who's going to get what sort of cut of what fees, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. Uh, I've, I paid my installation fee and I haven't been able to make back the money in three months. Come on, I need a better job here. Um, and then, you know, fisticuffs might break out even among, you know, uh, educated gentlemen in robes. Uh, fights can break out then the magistrate might get involved. Okay. Now the clerks, how are they viewed by the general populace and by the magistrate? Uh, better than runners. We're going to talk about the runners in a minute. Uh, the clerks were usually seen as uh, fairly respectable. Okay. They're literate. They like to try to associate themselves with the moral rectitude and self-cultivation and literary pursuits of the Confucian gentlemen. After all, they did train to take the exams. They just didn't pass it. So they have a similar educational background very often, uh, but it's, they have frustrated ambitions. So they like to think of themselves as gentlemen who uh, are simply sort of gentlemen in waiting. We haven't had our big breakthrough yet. Um, and so I'll serve the gentleman who has had the big breakthrough, uh, the magistrate. Um, and generally speaking, the magistrate saw the clerks as colleagues of a lesser order. They're not on an equal standing with him, and sometimes he'll scold them and use pejorative language to uh, 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 describe them. But on the whole, the magistrate had a positive, working, and generally respectful relationship with the clerks, who, after all, were not that far removed um, from his own educational background and economic background. Okay, he's just a little more lucky in the exams than they were. Okay, so that's clerks. That's clerks. What about runners? Runners, known in Chinese as chai. Uh, runners did all the dirty business of enforcing state authority in areas that were not under the purview of, you know, actual military soldiers, all right, short of a rebellion or war, all right, uh, runners are doing all the muscle work, they're the muscle men of the local government, okay, um, it's despite the fact that they're not really doing, you know, the sort of things that are done in wartime. Uh, the job of a runner was far more precarious, dangerous than the clerks, and it was a much less respected position. Okay, think about their economic background, their educational background too. Runners tend to be illiterate most of the time. Maybe the head runner might have rudimentary literacy, but most runners have not been able to acquire an education. That alone tells you what their likely economic background is going to be because education is expensive. Not only the fees involved in tuition, but the ability to take your son out of productive labor that contributes to the household and let him learn and read books full-time, that also is a lost economic opportunity if you engage in that. Uh, so very expensive. Okay, uh, They often far outnumbered the clerks. There's far more runners then you have clerks. Okay, uh, The magistrate views the clerks, just like the emperor views the magistrates, with reserved suspicion, 
and yet grudging respect. Okay? But they were openly hostile to runners. The magistrate was openly hostile to runners. Runners were thought of as a debased caste. They were barred from taking the exams. There's no hope of being able to take the exams, no matter how good you do your job. They wouldn't want to anyways, because they're not educated. They have no hope of being able to pass it. There is little chance of social mobility in the job of a runner. A clerk might be able to work his way up to head clerk and then work his way up to be able to take the exams. Okay? Not so in the case of a runner. In fact, the runners were so uh, commonly reviled and looked down upon that they were required when the head runner had to uh, put his name to paper to like write a petition or something or uh, respond to a charge that he had, had engaged in corruption. He had a special pronoun first-person pronoun that he had to use to refer to himself. He couldn't say I. All right, the usual pronoun for people uh, who appear in court documents or documents produced in the Yaman, um, if it's not like the magistrate, no, most normal people have to use the, uh, the pronoun Xiaoda, uh, the little one, as their first-person pronoun. The little one uh, respectfully requests uh, that, your, that your, you know, your honor uh, look into this matter of a loan that wasn't paid back, or something like that. The little one this, the little one that. That's your I pronoun for your commoners. The runners had to use a pronoun uh, uh, e, my e, de, de e, uh, ant, or a grub. And it actually, half of the character is the insect radical. Okay? That's the pronoun they were required to use when they referred to themselves in documents. They had to say, I, uh, your, your, your disgusting insect servant, essentially. Okay? That's the love, the social status and lack of respect that runners were accorded. Gives you some idea of what we're talking about here, okay? Respectable families don't count runners among their sons. All right? Clerks, yes. Uh, you're not thrilled and, you know, totally proud to have your son working as a clerk, but it's a pretty good business political move, in society, if you can't have them pass the civil service examination system, a, 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 a clerk with uh, substantive work to do in the local yamen, that's your next best thing. But a respectable family does not have a son who is a runner. Runners, when they are punished, they can be beaten, slapped, caged, have that wooden horse collar put around their head and exposed to the public so people can spit in their face and throw things at them as they walk by. Okay, clerks, when clerks gets punished, it's a financial punishment. It's a fine. Or they'll say, okay, you're being punished um, and you were in the wrong in this dispute with other clerks. Therefore, you have to pay for a large banquet for all of your colleagues and that financial expense is going to fall on you. Or if it's corruption, you have to pay back the fee and maybe you'll get fired. Uh, but they're not going to get beaten. You don't beat gentlemen, even gentlemen in waiting. Okay, runners you can beat. You can beat the shit out of them. Okay. Um, that's totally okay. They are not above corporal punishment. Now, here's the really interesting part, and this is the part that always gets me. Despite the fact that the runners um, are so often reviled and disrespected, they are the face of government for the vast majority of the people. Okay? Wrap your mind around that for a minute. Because runners, in contrast to clerks and the magistrate, Operate, uh, carry out their duties usually outside the physical confines of the yamen. They're the ones who are using their legs and arms to actually deliver documents to go and collect taxes. Um, they're they're often outside. Okay, 
Um, and the local people look at him and say, oh, that's the representative of our government. You're not going to see clerks that often, and you're almost never going to see the magistrate. You see runners all the time, however. And when the government shows up on your doorstep, the face of that government is the runner. All right, what did the runners do? Well, a lot of stuff. They collect and deliver taxes, especially taxes that are in arrears that have not been paid by the deadline. Uh, we're going to talk more about taxes in a minute. Uh, they engage in you know, local police and security work. They have to carry out a, a, a warrant for an arrest, actually arrest someone, escort them to the local jail. This is dangerous jobs, all right? These are people who, are, you know, sometimes people are wrongly accused, but if they're not, that's a, that, 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 that is a criminal. Um, and things can go bad in the course of escorting a criminal to a place that that criminal doesn't want to go. They can be gatekeepers. They guard the yamen. They guard the granaries and other state structures. They are jailers. They staff the jails. They, 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 they um, are, are night watchmen. They are sedan chair bearers. When the magistrate is going to move around, it's not the clerks who are going to lift up the, his, his sedan chair and walk through the streets. Are you kidding me? No, it's the runners. That's physical labor. Clerks aren't going to be caught dead doing that kind of work. The runners do that. And when the magistrate wants to travel, the, run, the runners are the people who go out and bang their gongs and shout for people to get out of the road. They got to clear the road. They make a big scene whenever the magistrate wants to go somewhere. All right. They administer corporal punishment for people who are punished in the courtroom. This is your punishment. 40 blows of the light bamboo or 60 blows of the heavy bamboo. Who's going to carry that punishment out? Not the magistrate. Not the clerks. Hell no. The runner is going to carry out that, that punishment. You need physical force to do that. That's work that's beneath educated gentlemen. And then there are also messengers. They deliver letters. They put notices up on local you know, trees and buildings and whatnot, notifying you of important decisions and policies that are going to be implemented. And the runners then, of course, also collect fees for every service imaginable. Okay. Um, now, the same hierarchy exists for runners as exists with clerks, only there's a lot more uh, runners than there are clerks. You have one head runner who's probably literate, and he resides in the Yaman. Okay? Under that head runner can be hundreds and hundreds of regular or temporary runners who the head runner recruits himself. They're in his own network. Okay, the head runner manages his own staff, just like the head clerk does, but the staff is much, much longer, uh, much, much bigger. Okay, and there's no timeline. If a, if a runner is doing well and he seems to be effective as his job, he can serve for his entire life. There's no five-year deadline in which you have to sort of, you know, go back and uh, reapply or something like that. Okay, you got to pay installation fees to become a runner as well. Okay, and the idea is, of course, you'll, you'll recoup that installation fee by all the customary fees that you have to charge the people in the course of your duties. Okay, um, now, the big task of runners is tax collection. Taxes, okay, not a fun job. No one wants to pay taxes. But the imperial state requires lots of taxes to operate. It's a big empire. Runners are at the center of tensions between the imperial Chinese state and its subjects over the issue of taxes, okay? And it's a relatively high-risk job, as you can probably imagine. How are you actually going to get taxes from people who are either poor and can't pay or simply don't want to pay? And in any, 
in any circumstance, those people are not happy to see you. If they didn't pay the taxes when the taxes were initially due, then they're not going to want to see any representative or agent of the government who's coming to ask about where are your taxes, they're late. Okay? Now, the logistics of tax season is that the regular tax, che uh, tax chests are collected. Okay? Everyone knows when they're due. And you submit your taxes. And then the clerks will draw up a list of those who have paid and those in the community who have not paid. And they'll say, these are the people who have not paid their taxes. He gives the list to the magistrate. The magistrate issues a formal warrant threatening arrest if the taxes are not paid. And then the head runner takes this warrant and he doles them out to all of his own runners who will also, you know, be paying him a fee for the privilege of being able to go collect this tax. All right. Um, and then the runners themselves have to assume the debt obligations of the people who have not paid their taxes. These are going to be often destitute and uh, 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 desperate people, and you have to force them to repay a debt that either they cannot pay or don't want to pay. And yet, if they don't pay it, you're liable for that tax debt yourself. Okay? Uh, so you assume the debt of people who haven't paid their taxes. It's now your private debt as a runner. You assume liability for that debt. You have to cover all of your own expenses in traveling to the site, the village where people haven't paid their taxes. Uh, you know, inns, food, uh, transportation, whatever it is. You got to pay for all that yourself. Um, and then you have to confront hostile locals or sometimes even an entire village who is going to see you as an intrusion, an unwelcome intrusion in their lives. And they might get together and beat you up. Physical violence which is why the clerks aren't going anywhere near tax collection. So most of the runners, what they're essentially doing is they're turning a, 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 a public debt into a private debt, and they're assuming the burdens of a private debt, and they're now liable for that. So in order to make sure that they have a good chance of recouping this debt, they, they know there's going to be hostile villagers out here who don't want to pay. They may think that they can beat me up because I'm not a real soldier. So what they do is then they'll sort of contract their own friends and family on a freelance basis. You know, one more level of sort of outsourcing, right? In which they'll say, you know, to their brother or their cousin or their local friend, they'll say, hey, you want to come with me? And I've assumed the burden of this. I've bought out this debt, okay? I've bought out this debt. They're like a private debt collection agency on an individual level. I've bought out this debt, this tax debt, and I need to go collect it. We're allowed to charge 3% interest in all of our expenses in recouping this debt. So transportation expenses, food, lodging, all that sort of stuff, plus 3% interest. Okay? Um, I need some help. I need some help because these people obviously don't want to pay it or else they are, are, already would have paid it. So you recruit your friends and family to come with you. And obviously you're going to have to pay a portion of anything you get from the people to your friends and family who come with you or else why would they come with you? Okay? Um, and then you go out and find the people who haven't paid yet. Okay, and many of the people, even if they didn't try to beat you up, if they say, oh, wow, he brought, you know, three brothers, two cousins, and five friends, <laughs> uh, all of his drinking buddies. And they think, okay, it's too risky to beat these guys up or scare them out of the village. Uh, people who had debt could also be very tricky and try to deceive them. They would try to disguise land deeds through dead relatives, fake real estate sales. They would try to act like they weren't the person in question. You know, prove it. Prove it that I'm this person. 
prove it that that's my land that I owe money on. And it could be tricky. Maybe they falsified documents. Maybe everyone in the village is in on the, on the deception and no one's willing to out them. Uh, what is the runner supposed to do? If you pursue the wrong debtor and intimidate and threaten and possibly uh, inflict physical violence on the wrong debtor, you can be held responsible as well. And you could be beaten when you get back to the Yaman. We saw that runners could be beaten. And yet if you don't recover the debt, the tax debt, you have to take out your own loan to pay it back to the Yaman. Because remember, you bought out that debt. You bought out that debt. All right, The state saw it as expedient to take public tax delinquency and translate it into a private debt. The debt is yours. And you're sort of like a freelance businessman now with big muscles. And, you know, the authority to use a small degree of physical coercion to get that debt back. All right. Uh, yeah, the runners are the face of the government. And they're, you know, financially reliable. And they can be physically punished if things go wrong. Obviously, though, things went right enough of the time that many people wanted to be a runner. All right. You didn't have any chance of getting an education and going that route through life. Uh, but you also just, you know, can't stomach the idea of just constantly laboring under the sun in the fields day after day after day after day. Uh, the job of a runner sounds like, you know, for an intrepid individual, a go-getter who thinks he can uh, sort of, you know, make, end meets, uh, make ends meet on his own. Uh, yeah, I think I can round up a few of my friends, sort of do this right, and I can make a good profit. I'll get back the principal of, of, the, uh, of the loan that I took out to pay this debt um, and 3% interest on in all of my expenses. Um, and many people could say, you know, thought this was quite lucrative to be a runner. Um, but there also is an element of risk because if for whatever reason you can't get that debt, it's now your debt and you're going to have to take out a loan, uh, to pay that back to the Yaman. And then you're in thrall to some new debtor who has loaned you the money to pay back the Yaman. Good deal for the Yaman. All right. Risky deal with a lot of uncertainty by the runners. Okay. The magistrate condones this system. Because he has no other choice. He doesn't have the resources to hire, you know, on regular salaries with, you know, regulations and uh, rights and responsibilities and all that of hundreds and thousands of employees in his yamen. He's not even allowed to do that. This is, remember, this is pre-modern government on the cheap. The magistrate condones this system because he too is liable to his own superiors for delivery of the entire tax quotas for his jurisdiction and his career. Promotion and demotion depends upon it. If Beijing comes back and says, you know, your county uh, is supposed to issue this much in tax uh, uh, money for the past year, and you only, uh, and you're, you know, five thousand silver tail short, the magistrate's heads on the chopping block. Not literally; he's not going to be physically punished, but his career could, be, you know, go go south very quickly. Uh, so he needs to get that tax money. All right, everyone's searching for a way to get people to pay to make the populace produce as much money as possible that the government can take, but no one wants to take formal responsibility uh, for doing that. So you keep outsourcing it, you know, at different levels until finally you get people who are sort of, you know, one step above highwaymen or, ro or you know, uh, uh, robbers uh, who are going out. They're not at that level yet. This is sort of a gray area of activity that if it wasn't condoned by the state, might be seen as somewhat criminal, <laughs> okay? But it is condoned by the state because the state hasn't come up with a better way of how to, how, 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 how to compel uh, a million people to pay their taxes or do whatever the government wants them to be able to do. 
Okay. Um, so the face of the government for most people are the reviled runners. The magistrate will revile and uh, uh, use pejorative terms to talk about the runners all the time. All right. And it's convenient for him. He can blame them. When things go wrong, he can say, oh, these horrible, illiterate, immoral runners who exceed their authority. Um, and I didn't condone what they did. That's not the way things are done. Except that they are. And you can't formally admit that. Okay. Remember sort of how elites like to blame poor women when they are forced by economic uh, 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 situations to remarry very quickly just to make ends meet. And the elites say, oh my God, what an immoral woman for remarrying after her first husband died. She has to stay faithful to her dead husband the rest of her life. All right. And they would talk about how immoral this woman was. Uh, same thing's going on here in the running of the local government yamen. Okay, same thing's going on here. The magistrate um, knows that the economic and political conditions of the land require the use of this sort of, you know, at this level, a decentralized system at the very local level. Obviously, it's a centralized bureaucracy in Beijing and sending out the magistrates. Below that, it's highly decentralized. All right. Um, and when things go wrong, as they will from time to time, uh, the magistrate will condemn its la its most vulnerable, least educated, um, and economically uh, vulnerable people um, in elite moral terms, according to their standards, uh, usually not explicitly recognizing that it's wealth that allows you to subscribe to highfalutin morals. Okay. Um, now, takeaway point here, the takeaway point here, okay, is that the Chinese imperial Local bureaucracy, you know, the, the local government yamen. Sounds a bit crude and disorganized and highly decentralized by today's standards. But take my word for it, okay? This was the height of bureaucratic sophistication for the largest and most stable centralized empires in the history of the world prior to the Industrial Revolution. Okay? Uh, this is what you get when you leave feudalism behind in 200 B.C., Okay, the state didn't yet have the resources to penetrate systematically in uniform fashion into every household. So government consisted of a series of personalized client-patron relationships that were repeatedly outsourced down to the, to the next level until you get to the ground level. And at each stage, you divest yourself of moral responsibility for the people who are one stage lower than you where the government work has been outsourced to them. And all this is overseen by a magistrate certified by the imperial state who tries to apply a uniform imperial law and regulations as best he can across the land. All right? And that's your local government yamen prior to the 20th century. Next time, we're going to see how the way things have been done for nearly 2,000 years is about to change dramatically and traumatically in episode 27, India, England, and the Opium War. I'll see you then.